You're listening to a Monster Kid Podcast. And welcome to A Dingo Ate My Movie, a podcast that features classic Ozploitation and other weird, wonderful, overlooked and underappreciated Australian films from the 70s, 80s and beyond. My name is Pete and I'm your host. Today I'm joined by Tab from Test Pattern and we're going to be discussing Greg McLean's Wolf Creek from 2005. Hi and welcome back, Tab. Thank you so much. I love being on your show and this is a very special movie. I feel very honoured to to be asked to do this one. Well, I had you in mind from the moment that I uh, decided to do it. I thought, who can I do this with? And I thought, it's got to be Tab. Oh, well, that's with all her true crime, love of true crime and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this is perfect, right? So, yeah, so, yeah. Definitely. yeah, definitely. And I actually really enjoy this movie. So, uh, as much as you can enjoy it, I guess. Yeah, but, it's, um... <laughs> it's, a hard, it's a bit of a slog, this movie. I watched it again last night, only on my iPad, not on the TV. So, mm. had probably slightly less impact, but it didn't, right? It's still... Still a difficult movie to watch. Yeah, I mean, it. it's really that last third where you're like, oh, boy, I don't know if I can I can handle this. Yeah, you know? yeah. I basically uh, went down Jacob's uh, line and uh, listened to a few podcasts that have you know, mm. talked about this movie. And it's really interesting. Like, some people really loved it and other people, some people really hated it. It was interesting. Like, the ones that disliked it, I think, just sort of kind of wrote it off really, really easily and didn't look too much into it. One of them thought, oh, it was really boring in the first 30 minutes. And I'm like, shit, that's what makes the movie. Yeah, definitely. I disagree, but we'll talk about same, it. Same, same, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Wolf Creek tells the story of three backpackers travelling from Broome in Western Australia to Cairns in Queensland, which is a long way, if you don't know. Mm-hmm. When their car breaks down at Wolf Creek National Park, the trio meets up with a charismatic larrikin Mick Taylor who has much more than just helping the three travellers on his mind. The movie stars John Jarrett, Nathan Phillips, Cassandra McGrath, or McGrath and Kesty Morassi. It was directed by Greg McLean and released in 2005. Greg McLean also did... There was another film he did that I've... Is it The Belko Experiment? Did he... I think he directed oh, that movie. Oh, okay. So he's done a few movies, and, of course, he did Wolf Creek 2, uh, mm-hmm. And also, the there's a TV series, Wolf Creek, which I haven't watched it. I don't know if you've seen that at all. Yeah, I haven't seen the sequel or the series. Right, right. I've seen the sequel. I'll talk a bit about that later. But um, okay. <laughs> I haven't seen the series yet. I'm interested to look at the series because it, it's apparently quite interesting. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we've seen John Jarrett and a couple of other movies we've uh, covered on the podcast, which is most notably Next of Kin, uh, which mm. he's 
got a, I wouldn't call it a big part. He basically gets killed, but it's good. And uh, he's in yeah. Dark Age as well. He's like the park ranger guy in Dark Age as well. The film's budget was $1.4 million and it eventually took $35 million at the box office, which is pretty good return on money. Yeah. It's a very low budget film. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a critic rating of 54% and audience rating of 49%. And on Letterboxd, it's an average score of about three out of five. So hmm. it's sort of middling ratings, I think, when you when you look at things like Rotten Tomatoes. And, but it always changes on there. So Yeah. And um, where to watch it? I've watched it on Stan in Australia. It's streaming on Stan in Australia. If you have Stan, you can watch it there. Uh, of course, you can buy it and rent it on Amazon, Apple TV, YouTube, all the usual, usual places. I'm not sure about the Blu-ray. I had a look on JB Hi-Fi website, which is a local retailer, Australia-wide. They didn't seem to have it, like, listed at all. So it's either mm. out of stock. But usually if it's out of stock, they still have a listed sort of thing. So I'm not sure if the Blu-ray's out of print, but uh, they did have the DVD. Yeah, I bought the DVD, I think, from Hastings, which is kind of a... Uh, media store they sell books movies cds everything but they also do a lot of used stuff okay so it was it's a good place to find um stuff that you can't find anywhere else although i don't think it exists anymore sadly yeah i think i saw that it was available on amazon as part of the freebie thing it does have commercials but right um if you really want to watch it and you have no other way of watching it and you have prime and you're in america um, that would be a good place to to check it out. I haven't seen it pop up on Tubi yet, but I'm assuming it'll bound to one day. Oh, yeah. So that's where I watch all the great movies on Tubi. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a great selection. They do. Last last night I watched um, Shark Side of the Moon, which is a, Oh, I saw you tweet a, about that. How was that? <laughs> which is a new one. Oh, well, it's um, interesting. It was like, it was typical asylum. So the event, mm. the... I think Asylum know what they're doing in regards to being a cheesy kind of, making cheesy kind of films. And right. I think th that is the attraction of watching any Asylum movie is that oh, absolutely. the yeah. effects are going to be pretty pretty bad and uh, acting's not going to be fantastic. But they've got, I don't know, some of them have quite a charm to them. Some of them are just terrible. This one yeah. was kind of somewhere in between. I'm not really sure what I think about it. Before we go into the facts about the movie, let's go into sort of the the inspired by true events that we, that we talked about. And I think it says it at the very start of the movie. So right. the movie is, I guess, loosely based on two Australian serial killers, Bradley John Murdoch and probably more famously Ivan Milat. So Ivan Milat was known as the, the backpacker killer. Um, right. Bradley John Murdoch is serving a life sentence for the murder of an English backpacker, uh, Peter Falconio, in July 2001. While Ivan Malat, better known as the backpacker murderer, was found guilty of seven murders committed in the Balangalo State Forest in 1996, and he died in custody in 2019 in October. Mm. Interesting story. I, I was looking at it on a map. I was thinking Balangalo State Forest is probably only, it's about an hour from where I live, actually. Oh, it's wow. not that far. It's down around um, Barrel, Mittagong area, just down past there, mm, so yeah. uh, down near Goulburn. So it's very much out of the out of town. And talking to May about it the other night, we're like, "Oh, we should get out and have a look." And I'm like, "Yeah, it'd be pretty creepy." But we <laughs> apparently there's a little little monument there, a little oh. remembrance thing and stuff like that. So 
Yeah, I'm okay for drive down one weekend, yeah. I sort of to prep for this, but also just because I was thinking about it. I, I listened to the Case File episodes. There's a podcast called Case File that's actually based in Australia. And, and the anonymous host is Australian. And so they do a lot of Australian true crime. And they did a several-part series on the uh, Blangolo murders. And it was very interesting. It was really only in the time that I guess he was being, that he got caught, that it right. became very, very top of, you know, top of mind and, and was in the media a lot. And uh, I know he looked, he did lots of weird things when he was in jail. I think he tried to kill himself a couple mm-hmm. of times. and But he still, apparently even on his deathbed, said he didn't do it. I, I don't know. I don't know how you you know, deny it when they found like backpacks belonging to those people in your house and stuff. Like that was the real, the realest part of the movie is when she goes in that room and there's all the backpacks and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And all the camping gear um, in that room. But uh, I wanted to ask you, do you remember when this was kind of in the news, either of these cases? I do remember when it was in the news, not, not a lot, but, but I remember mm-hmm. the, you know, the, um, the stories around it, and I still see on TV, you'll still see, um, you know, like these true crime shows that right. the, there's the usual ones. I think, like the ones you've watched from here, I can't remember the name of the show. What's the name of the show here? Um, Was it I, Crime the, Investigation the, or something like that? Yeah, there's Crime Investigation, um, which I think is based out of Australia, and then there's also one called The Crimes That Shook Australia, right? Yeah, um, yeah. and I'm not sure if that's produced in Australia or not because they also have The Crimes That Shook Britain, but yeah, they they definitely did episodes uh, on this case. When I was listening to the podcast, they talked a lot about how there was like, especially in the 90s, this culture of like foreign backpackers coming into Australia and spending a lot of time in, in the uh, on the continent. And what was the Australian perspective on that? So the, there's always been backpackers oh, in okay. Australia. Okay. Like um, even now, I think, well, I think COVID kind of killed it off right. a bit. <laughs> right. But um, I've always grown up like just knowing that, that people come primarily from the UK. It mm, seems okay. to be where they mostly come from and probably other parts of Europe. And they'll work their way around the country. So they'll they'll sort of end up in Sydney and then they'll find work. They might just work in cafes or bars or pubs and things like that. And a lot of Aussies do that in the UK as well. They go to the UK mm. and work in pubs and things like that and work their way around Europe. And then they might go out into the country and they might do like fruit picking to earn mm. money, but they also get to see the countryside as well. And then they just save enough money to go up the coast or down the coast and basically work their way around the country and they buy dodgy cars like in this movie and and, right. and vans and and sort of, you know, get together and, and do all the things these guys do in this movie. It's pretty, you would think it's pretty close to, to what happens. You see it a lot and, you know, and, uh, it's obviously COVID sort of put a stop to it but I imagine mm. that it won't take long to sort of start up again, so... Do Australian are Australian people are okay with that? Like, is it just kind of part of the yeah? It's just part of landscape the landscape f- now. <laughs> yeah, I think so. No one, no one sort of takes any, you know, takes any real notice. You know, there's lots of backpackers. You'll go to a place like I guess the Gold Coast um, okay. up in Queensland. You'll see a lot there. You'll see them around Sydney. You can kind of pick them in a way. Not always. Yeah, there's probably it's probably pretty can, obvious. <laughs> yeah, or you see them. You know, you might be 
on the train going to work one day and you'll you'll see you know people with re- really massive backpacks or or you can see them when you get at the airport when you're getting off a plane mm-hmm. right or you're just at the airport to pick someone up you'll see people that come out of you know come out of um, security and and uh, instead of having suitcases they just have massive backpacks on their back and they're always yeah. young you always know that it's them so um, good way to see the country I mean why you're young as well you yeah. know and there's lots of in Australia. There's lots of backpacker hostels that you can stay at right. that are really cheap and things like that. And uh, so I, I think that's where they get that that sense of community as well. There mm-hmm. seems to be there's a couple of scenes where there's a whole bunch of them together at the start, right. having a bit of a party, and they're obviously all backpackers. And and then there's the three characters in this film uh, that have kind of I would I would assume have met while they're doing this. Like Ben is right. from Australia and. And the two girls are from the UK. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so they've kind of met up doing, you know, backpacker stuff. Yeah, so they, you see them a lot and, well, don't see them much at the moment, but there's still... Do they still, like, hitchhike? Because I know a big thing in the true um, crime case is that they were picked up hitchhiking for the most part. I don't see much hitchhiking when mm, I drive I around not, anymore. <laughs> These days, you know, when I was when I was younger, I guess, but we're going back to, like... You know, late seventies, early eighties. You could, oh, yeah. you could hitchhike and and probably, you know, I did it a couple of times just to get from place to place. But you wouldn't. I don't think you wouldn't do it now. I don't think. Yeah, I would hope not. I would hope, just in general, because I think we're more aware of safety things now. Yeah. But also yeah. specifically in Australia, because of of the Ivan Malak case, I I would think that. People are more leery to to hitchhike. You would think so, right? But I, I'm, right. I'm sure there's people that still hitchhike. Yeah, for sure. They just take that chance. I guess if you're in a pair, you could probably do it. But yeah, but even so, with even with so, that, right? that, like he was picking up couples, and then also like there were two girls that were traveling together that ended up getting killed. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. I wouldn't, and I would definitely. Wouldn't want anyone in my family hitchhiking yeah. as well. It would be something that's, you know, not great. So, yeah. I mean, people, I'm assuming people backpack around the US. I think it's less prevalent here. I think usually if they're going to go to somewhere in America, they tend to just go to one specific location or one state. Um, I think because America is pretty big, you, yeah. you know, I'm sure there are people that come over here and, and, do like road trips mm, but way um I, I just think it would you would have to take a lot of time off to be able to travel all the way around the country if you were gonna yeah do that. yeah i also think there's um i don't know what the official agreements are but there's obviously some agreements between the australian and the uk mm-hmm. governments around work and things like that because i know that's true in the yeah. u.s it's very hard to get it like a work visa and that sort of thing yeah so yeah. we're here, you can get, I think they get like tourist traveling visas or some, some sort of visa that allows them to travel and work. Um, and I know we get like, oh, there's also, um, I'm forgetting our friends across the across the way, um, there's also a lot of Kiwi backpackers here as well. That makes sense. Yeah, I think it would be much harder for people to get jobs if they, and so they couldn't really do like a working vacation the way that they, especially people from the UK would be able to do in Australia. Yeah, yeah, so that's right. So Greg McLean wrote the original script in 1997, but he rewrote it after the Ivan Malak case, which was really mm. interesting. So he sort of, he crafted the character of Mick Taylor 
based on some, you know, typical what you would call Australian exports, like he says Steve Irwin and Paul Hogan, and you can see that in that both. Probably more, probably more Paul Hogan, I guess. You, out here alone? Oh, that's a joke. City girl like you? You wouldn't last five minutes, love. This is man's country out here. It's only about another out of the river, but you being a Sheila, it'll probably take two. Nick, give him your wallet. What for? He's got a knife. That's not a knife. That's a knife. And yeah. and then he mixed in people like Ivan Millet. I think it's something I watched during the week. He said that um, that he thought it was interesting to mix two of those sort of exports, like you know um, Steve Irwin, uh, Paul Hogan, and then mix in someone that's evil, you know, in that sort of mm-hmm. Ivan Millet way to try and get that that personality. Did a great job, and I mean John Jarrett did a great job. I think bringing it to you know. Life. Oh, yeah. I mean, Micah and I watched this together to get ready for me being on the show. And she said, like, he's almost too likable. Like, he's really charming when he's tr- supposed to be charming. And so then you're so offset when he when he is um, being being evil. We both kind of had the question of would he be considered like a stereotype character rather than like uh, an accurate representation of uh, somebody that lives out in that area in Australia? I'd I'd say in some ways he would be kind of probably kind of typical of someone that lives that far out in a way. Okay. Um probably sadly more typical would be those guys in the mm. at the at the petrol station or like at the cafe on the in the middle before they go right. out into the outback. Those sort of people are pretty well, I don't know if they're super prevalent, but that's that's a pretty typical, you know, Australian sort of awful, ugly Australian sort of stereotype. I mean, we definitely have our version of that kind of person in America too. So everyone that does, makes think, sense. Yeah, I yeah. think everyone has has their ugly yeah. <laughs> ugly people. So, but yeah, I think he's the kind of guy. Like a, in a, I watched someone interview John Jarrett about Mick Taylor and. And the the interview the interviewee or the interviewer said uh, that he Mick Taylor comes across as a sort of guy that if you didn't know what he was really like, he's the sort of guy you'd you'd love to sit down at the pub and have a beer with. Right, he'd, right. He'd be a lot of fun, right? But and I think that's where it's so good, where the story is so good, because he's got this disarming personality. But it's interesting when you get to bits later in the movie where he's watching back the video or where uh, Liz is watching back the video and he's saying exactly the same things to the other people he's killed Mm -hmm. as he just said to them. Yeah. And he really does seem to capitalize on like the, the um, crocodile Dundee comparisons that. Oh, for sure. Well, he's really pointed, right? The whole, this is, Mm -hmm. that's not a knife. This is a knife. I no, think that's yeah. quite hilarious, actually. Yeah. So. I, like your little mate said before, you know, that's not a knife. This is a knife. I'm sure you have heard that many times when you travel outside the country. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. That's not a knife. This is a knife. Yeah. Some, it's someone's horrible Australian accent. You're like, <laughs> you <"All> right. <laughs> it's funny. Some of the um, some of the podcasts I listened to when I was uh, before I you know about this movie when they'd intro you would, there would be probably two out of three maybe would would do some sort of intro where they'd put on an Australian accent. And it, it's always funny hearing people doing Australian accents. I, I love it. Excuse me. Could you tell me how to get to the medical school? I'm supposed to be doing a lecture in about 20 minutes and my driver's a bit lost. You go straight ahead and uh, you make the left over the bridge. That's a lovely accent you have. New Jersey? Austria. Austria! <laughs> well then, <laughs> good day, mate. <laughs> Let's put another shrimp on the barbie. Let's not. Americans doing them are the best. British people can get... <laughs> oh, I'm British, sure we get it completely wrong. <laughs> British people can get pretty close because I guess there's it's a kind a of... It's a similar like, accent yeah, in yeah. some way. Like there's some pronunciation that is similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but it's really funny with Americans doing it always. I'm not having yeah. a go at Americans. I just think it's funny when I've got my mate Bubba. He, he loves trying to do Australian accents. <laughs> I think Jacob does as well. Like Jacob is my pod... My co- podcast co-host, for those of you that don't know, but um, he he really likes trying to do an Australian yeah. accent as well. <laughs> it's pretty funny, and I think yeah. my f- most famous one is having Jay when we did the episode on Waking oh, Fright, yeah. and he, as soon as I introduced him, he started doing an Australian accent. It was hilarious. Uh, yeah, so, that makes sense. So That's funny. <laughs> It's okay. I'm not going to put you on the spot and have you do one. So it's all right. Oh, I don't know that I even could. I would probably just sound like a weird alien. If I, tried I always to do think that. though it's quite funny. Like when I watch movies, I always get surprised when I watch a movie and then I see a interview or some sort of or a commentary, and you hear the actor talking, and I go, "Fuck." I had no idea they were British. Fuck. Yeah. I had no idea they were a Kiwi. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm like, right. Jesus. It's it's like, I, I just, it blows my mind sometimes. And and obviously with Australians, I know these Australian actors and, you know, yeah. and they, they seem to be okay. They must, obviously a lot of these people at this level, they all have dialect coaches and all this sort mm-hmm. of stuff to help them out. But um, sometimes it's just amazing that you, you, you hear these people talking afterwards and you go, oh, shit. They, they, I thought they were American. <laughs> it was something like that, you know? Yeah, I remember seeing Christian Bale use his real accent for the first time and be like, I had no idea he was British. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. So is Florence Pugh British? Yes. Yeah, she is. she is, isn't she? Because, like, although she still, I think in Midsummer, she still kind of had that accent, did she? Or did she have an American accent? She had a. She was supposed to have an American accent. I don't remember how well it was executed, but I feel like people from Britain and people from Australia are much better at doing our accent than we are at doing your accent or British accent. There's something about it. I don't know if it's the with the Australian accent. I don't know if I don't know if it's a good old Aussie drawl or or what what it is. But it seems like it's difficult to replicate. But um, I'm just trying to think if any. American actors have done an Australian accent, like in a movie. I can't think of any. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of any off the top of my head. No. No. <laughs> let Let me know on Twitter or email me. I'd love to. I'd love to 
hear it. I'd love to see it. It'd be good. Yeah, so the movie was shot in Adelaide over five weeks um, during winter. Uh, they, they actually thought that it would be a great idea shooting in winter because this place hadn't, from what I'd seen, hadn't had rain for 10 years or something like that. Oh, it had been God. in drought for like 10 years. They hadn't had a drop of rain. And as soon as they started shooting, they had three days of rain and it rained so much that they actually had to change the script to include mm-hmm. it. And there's a couple of times in the movie where they're talking about the rain and it's like obviously they've had to put that in because they just otherwise would never have got to shoot those scenes. So, so much shit went down trying to make this movie that to tell you is just a joke. Like it sounds like it would, you wouldn't believe me. We did three location recce's up into Hawker near the Flinders Ranges. And when we first went there, there was dust that thick. Like, you put your foot down and the dust sprayed out. We, this is great. It looks like Central Australia. It's fantastic. We went to a location that had not been rained in for 10 years. And that's, I'm not exaggerating. It hadn't rained in that area for 10 years. You'd be dead unlucky if it rained out here, I tell you. We rock up there with the whole crew, which we'd bargained, begged and borrowed extra money to try and get extra time to shoot in this location because it was so spectacular. And it started to rain. And we're all standing there looking at each other going, what the fuck's going on? This hasn't rained here in 10 years and we are standing in the pouring rain and what the hell is going on? It sent the schedule, you know, into chaos. Um, we all went mad, running around trying to find lo- new locations. I'm in the driest state and the driest continent in the world. Out of 25 days of the shoot, I think 21 of those days we encountered rain. You know, it was carnage. If the day got lost, the day's lost. It's not like a big budget movie where you can go, oh, it's okay, we'll pick it up in the pickup shots. There's no pickup shots. We went back to script and thought, how are we going to deal with this? And I think, you know, Greg and I just kind of at the both, for almost the same time, realised, you know what, this is actually perfect because at this point in the story, in the sort of the arc of the characters and the arc of their journey, this is the point at which it goes from being, you know, a really fun holiday trip into something much more sinister. In the end... It was yet another vibe moment. It was just, you know, it was it was amazing. Yeah, I feel like that happened on Mad Max as well. Like it had, they went to a place that it hadn't rained in forever and ended up snowing or something. Yeah, it's it's so strange with the weather in some of these places. Um, I think it was was it um, it was Fury Road where they were, I think it was they yeah. were going to they were going to film in Australia and all of a sudden they had lots and lots of rain and all this greenery popped up and. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we can't shoot here now because it looks so green and right. it's not not the landscape we want for the movie. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, the shots of the crater were at the real Wolf Creek, which is in northern Western Australia, and it's wolf with a W-O-L-F-E, mm-hmm. not wolf as in wolf. They did those shots separately from the actors. The shots of the actors sort of on the ridge were just oh, shot okay. on some ridge somewhere okay. in the same in Adelaide and uh, – but I think the the shots of where they're looking down on the crater and the crater itself. So that would be an interesting place to go. I read up a little bit on it because there's like a a national park there, and mm-hmm. uh, they're saying it's quite a, it's about a hundred kilometre drive from the main road, and it's all on dirt the whole way, and uh, you can camp there. You can walk up. It's about a I think they were saying it's a was a five kilometre walk or something like that up to the to the ridge, but you can't go down into it. For some mm-hmm. reason, um, but it looks really interesting. But on TripAdvisor, a lot of people say that they say you don't need a four-wheel drive, but you re- probably should take one, right? So because the roads are all corrugated and 
a bit messy. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I think where I read you have to, there's three gates you have to drive through and shut the gate behind you, open the gate and wow. shut the gate okay. as you go through sort of thing. And so, yeah, it's really, really out in the middle of nowhere. But it'd be an interesting place to see. Did Greg McLean say why he left the E off of the title? And I think and- it was left off because when when you have wolf with the E, has kind of a different connotation mm. than if you have just wolf. Because I think wolf, you're thinking the animal. The animal, yeah. So it's a little bit more violent where you think wolf, it's kind of like you think of like a, I don't know, dick wolf or some, you know, someone's yeah, last like name. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, and they may have had some issues if they'd used the E, maybe. Maybe, yeah. I guess, so. Um, yeah, so it was a it was a very interesting shooting place. Um, I think where they shot in South Australia, and I'm sure it's not exactly the same place, but they shoot a lot of those sort of films. Like the last um, episode we did um, with Fair Game, that was shot in South mm. Australia, those sort of places. So you, I guess you can be kind of close to civilization, but also close to like the outback in those sort of places. Right. Yeah. The scene between John Jarrett and Kesti Morosi, like the shot, the the I guess the scene where he's torturing her, which is right. awful to watch first time. That was yeah. um, that was shot on a closed set, and a lot of the production team were outside while they were shooting that, and they were listening to the screaming and the yelling that was going on for ages and ages while they were shooting this screen. And they said eventually it started getting to us, like that it was starting to get yeah. quite quite upsetting listening to this all the time and I can just imagine shooting that scene because that scene is really really quite harrowing right and um yeah I think it has a lot to do with Kesti Marassi's performance like she is so desperate and yeah even the moment where um Liz comes in and gets behind him with a gun and she starts laughing like she you kind of get the sense that she's lost it a little bit and yeah um, that really make, made me unsettled because it, you don't know what happened to her until Liz looks into the window yeah. and she's got blood on her. And I like, just my mind was racing with like, what did he do to her before we saw yeah. this? <laughs> That's the thing. We feel like, we kind of feel like when she's looking in the window, kind of makes us feel like voyeurs looking in yeah. there as well. And I think that's obviously how it was shot that way. So we're like, oh, we get to have a peek in and see what's going on. And because we hear all this this commotion, um, it's just like super harrowing. That whole scene is terrible. Yeah. When you think about the true crime case, though, um, I feel like usually they will sort of embellish it for Hollywood. But I actually feel like the true crime cases, specifically the Belangelo murders, Mm. Are actually that case is actually has more grisly details than the movie. Yeah. Um, and I think that helped me not view the movie as being like uh, salacious or exploitative. Yeah. Because the the real case is so much worse. Like in a movie, you can kind of go, yeah, it's just a movie. But when you think mm-hmm. about somebody doing that to a person in real life, you just think, what's right. yeah, I don't understand what sort of mind somebody has to have. Obviously, quite deranged. But what yeah. sort of what sort of headspace you're in, where you can do that? You must be able to. I don't know. They must separate themselves somehow out of, almost be an out of body experience for them, where they don't really, right. and obviously they have no empathy and no sympathy for anything. So interesting thing. If you look at the the scene where they drive into, is the compound for the first time. There's a sign at the front. 
with a mime, uh, it's a certain mime who, into the as they drive in. If you read the sign backwards, it actually spells Ivan Malat with a H T at the oh, end. Oh wow, that's crazy! Is quite, it is. So I, was, I only found that out listening. That I think there was a was it an interview? Maybe anyway. But um, I actually, when I was watching it last night, I paused on the on the sign mm-hmm. as they're driving into the mine, and uh, as the, there it was. You look at it, and it's yep, it's Ivan Malat. <laughs> wow. I, I'm assuming they put the H in because they figured people would figure it out and they just didn't want to yeah. make it exactly his name. But, yeah. When I was doing research for for this um, to just kind of get some background information, I found out that his nephew also killed, like, took somebody out to Blanglo and killed them. It was a friend of his. There was also some suspicion on his brother as well. Yeah. In yeah. that whole thing as well. Um, That's kind of some of the things that they talk about in Case File is, like, there, there were many people who thought that maybe one of his other brothers were in, involved as well, that there yeah. were two killers. We'll never know. He never talked about it, so. No, he didn't, and he never put anyone in or he never, you know, mm-hmm. did anything like that, so, yeah. In the film, they, they cut five minutes of film from the theatrical release. The most notable cut was a sequence where Liz enters a mine, she's looking for Ben, enters a mine mm-hmm. shaft, and she comes across... Lots of decomposed bodies and things like that. And uh, McLean said that after he sort of had test screenings, he decided to cut it because he thought that it was probably a little bit too much after everything that had just already gone on. I think mm-hmm. it's in the unrated version. The version yeah. I watched was theatrical. I didn't see that. So Yeah, I have the unrated version. That's the version that's on the DVD I have. And uh, I must have watched the theatrical cut first because I didn't remember that scene. And then when I watched it, I was like, oh, wow, that's that's pretty gross. Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, I mean, obviously the special effects are, are good and it's lit in a way that it looks really realistic. But I think it, it doesn't necessarily need it. I think you that shot of the torso hanging mm-hmm. on the wall, I think, is is all you really need to see how brutal he is other than what, what you see it doing, him yeah. doing to those girls. And his dialogue when he's talking to... Um, talking to her in that in that shed mm-hmm. when he looks over to the body on the wall and he said like it was obviously somebody he'd had before and he said something like she lasted two months or three months and, yeah, yeah and then he he laughs and said until she lost a head and i'm mm-hmm. like Fuck, you know so imagine going through that for two months but anyway oh my gosh well that when he basically paralyzes liz all I could think of is like he he didn't kill her. He left her alive, and he was gonna go back and get Christy. Yeah, that that that's frightening when you think. That's where I love this sort of filmmaking. Like, it's it's brutal, and but he doesn't he didn't show everything, and you don't see a die. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he just leaves her there, mm-hmm. and you're like, what happens to her? Like, does she? Mm-hmm. Obviously, she's gonna die, but is she still alive? Does he come back and do more stuff with her when? Everything's right. sort of said and done or ugh, it's just terrible. I almost think the stuff that he leaves up to your imagination is so much scarier because we don't see what he does with like the the people that he kills as far as the pictures or the the video. We just see them while they're alive. He doesn't show you what uh you know, what happens to anybody. Like he doesn't show you what happens to Christy when you know, when he's torturing her up until the point we see it through Liz's perspective. There's a lot he leaves out. Which is good, like I said, le- mm-hmm. you know, and you said leaving it to your imagination is always always more effective, I think. 
Absolutely. Mm. And John Jarrett went apparently full method for this part, and you can see it in his performance, right? Like, oh, yeah. He, he was saying John Jarrett said something along the lines of, you know, John Jarrett couldn't do this part himself, so he had to get sort of into the mindset and and do things, you know, and be and apparently stayed in character a lot of the time. Apparently mm. he didn't shower for some time. People are saying he didn't shower for the whole five weeks. I can't believe that. Oh, but, yeah, I can't. But, yeah. but apparently, he, you know, there was a couple of days we didn't shower just to sort of get that that feel and, and grittiness oh, yeah. and, you know, it's pretty pretty gross. But, you know, he kind of, he is that movie and, and you can tell mm-hmm. from like the sequel and then obviously the TV show uh, that that they've just kept the character going. I'm not sure whether yeah. they're doing any more of that. But there's a Wolf Creek 3 in production. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is apparently, I'm not sure if it's out next year or the year after or something like that. So he's he's doing that again. So He's got to be pretty up there by by this point. <laughs> you'd think so. And he's not young, right? So yeah, he's, he's an interesting actor. Like I think in the films I've watched him in, he's, he's pretty good. I primarily know him from this, so even seeing him in Next of Kin was really weird because he was just her boyfriend, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have a big part in Next of Kin, but uh, right. seeing him at that age and then in um, Dark Age, he's, I think it must be around the same time because he looks reasonably the same. He has a much mm-hmm. bigger part because he plays like a park ranger that's trying to track down this this rogue crocodile. Mm. And he's in, he's also in... He's in Boar, which is another, like, creature feature sort of movie. Wow. Okay. So he was in Picnic at Hanging Rock as well, apparently. That's right. He is in Picking, Picnic at Hanging Rock. I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah. He's been in – I'm just having a quick look through his, um, his, you know, the movies he's been in. He's been in a lot. Like, he was in Rogue, which is a crocodile movie. And he was in Django Unchained, which I think I spoke oh, about. Oh, that's right. He is in Django Unchained. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the other movie I forgot that I've done that he's in, he's in 100 Bloody Acres as well. He's the oh, cop. Oh, wow. Okay. He's the cop. Yeah. So he's been in quite a bit. And he was in Boar and Wolf Creek, Wolf Creek 2, and Wolf Creek 3 he's in apparently, which is in development, yeah. So very much um, a busy guy. Yeah. So what were um, your initial thoughts on the movie? So I actually heard about this through Bravo Scariest Movie Moments. I think they did um, uh, like a couple sequels that involved newer movies. And this was a clip that they talked about. When I heard it was loosely based on a real case, I decided to start with the true crime aspect. Because I was just sort of dipping my toe into really gory movies at that point. It was the early 2000s. um, And I was pretty sheltered as a kid. So I didn't get to watch a lot of gory stuff, even though I love horror. And... I had just decided to look at the true crime case and I was like, wow, this is intense. I can't believe I've never heard of this before. And I think I'd, eventually I did watch the movie and I was surprised because it kind of gets lumped into early 2000s, like the torture porn genre. I don't feel like it really belongs there. I feel like it's it's a little more elevated than that. When I watching it this time, I was really struck by the beautiful landscapes. That's something that I see in every movie set in Australia because the continent is just so beautiful <laughs> in general. But I also really appreciated the time that uh, Greg McLean takes to get let us get to know Christy and Liz and Ben. Because I feel like those other movies that sort of fit that torture porn genre, you know, they're getting to the, the good stuff. Um, so you don't get a lot of time to know the characters. Sometimes the characters are, are not very nice people or not very likable. 
and it was the he does a lot and and these actors do a lot to make you really like them and and root for them and and then be scared for them when they eventually run into trouble i I think that's like a really big part of it for me like Mm -hmm. i i thought like the movie's about mick taylor right but i think Mm -hmm. it doesn't have the impact it, it has unless you really get sort of you have some buy-in with those three characters um you you sort of lose a lot yeah 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 and you have to root for them because they they do sort of give you the impression that they're gonna get away Mm. at at different parts in the movie um and that unfortunately that doesn't happen for two of them but yeah it's uh it's really nice to see a movie that's sort of in the slasher genre or the or this sort of torture porn genre where you're genuinely rooting for these kids and you're like, come on, make it. Cause I don't, I feel like that's missing in a lot of those movies. Um, I also watching it noticed that it really feels like just bordering on found footage. I think it's shot probably with a handheld camera and there's a lot of movement with the camera that actually makes it feel more real and less like a, like a actual movie. And, um, and I think that's to the, the film's, um, benefit because it does make it feel sort of more visceral once everything kicks into gear um i just i want to talk really quickly about ben because i think nathan phillips is great in this i think it's really easy to make a character like that sort of like a dude bro kind of skeevy uh sketchy character and it was nice to see him sort of be weirded out by the car salesman as much as the audience i think is supposed to be weirded out and then standing up for the girls when they run into those guys at the Emu Creek uh, gas station. You know, when when you see him and Liz interacting and they finally kiss, you're, you're rooting for them to have a relationship. And I feel like a lot of times, me personally, I'll see a relationship like that in a horror movie. And the guy isn't always, you know, on the up and up. And so you're kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. And I didn't feel that way with him. And I was really glad to see that he made it. So it's funny because we almost forget about him for quite a bit yeah. of the movie. He's sort of like <laughs> he's there and he's just hanging up, you know, crucifix yeah. like. And um, when he comes, it's funny because I think the first time I watched the movie, when we come back to him, I'm like, oh, I kind of forgot about him because we had so much intensity with with the two girls, right? You know. And, yeah, uh, I think I kind of assumed both when I watched it a long time ago and then watching it th- this time that he was killed off screen. Yeah. And then they'd see his body somewhere. I, I had forgotten that he was still alive. And he is, he's, he's really good. I think he's kind of like, there's, there's a couple of scenes where it really stands out for me. There's the scenes like you were saying in the, in the, in the roadhouse when they mm-hmm. when those guys are sort of hitting on the girls in a really awful way. I wouldn't even call it hitting on them, but yeah, just whatever. harassing. <laughs> yeah. Harassing them. Um, <laughs> And then there's the campfire scene with mm-hmm. with um, with Mick, and they're all sitting around the campfire before everything goes off, you know, off the rails. And mm-hmm. he's kind of there's the youth side of him where he's obviously what would what do you think he'd be early twenties, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And I would then say so. there's Mick, who I guess for want of a better term is an older boomer, and mm-hmm. and there's kind of like that play where he's. He's kind of in a quiet way sort of taking the piss out of everything Mick's saying. Mm-hmm. And and that's, I think, also what brings on that great switch in Mick when that, that campfire scene. I'll, we'll talk about that later, but the campfire scene is fantastic for that. But but I yeah. really, yeah, I think he's really good. He's a real standout in the movie and probably 
him and him and Liz. I mean, well, they're all really good, actually. The three. Yeah, every single one of them is turns in a great performance. And it couldn't have been easy to film because a lot of that is very. Yeah. What's going on? It's very simple to see. Like I saw some behind the scenes where, you know, where Liz is bashing Mick with the gun once he goes, once she sort of shoots him in the neck, and mm-hmm. she hits him pretty hard. And then when when he calls cut, she runs runs straight back to him again and is like, "Oh, are you okay? And you okay?" And you forget all that sort of stuff happens right behind the scenes because right. right. it just looks really harrowing. But it still would have been there would have been scenes there that would have been terrible to have to to oh, go yeah. through. I I think anything um, Kestie Morassi was doing was probably really taxing emotionally and physically. Yeah, I I often wonder when actors have to go through that, if there's any sort of residual sort of, you know, stuff they take away with them where they've had to put put themselves through something like that, where there's actually any mental, you know, not damaged so much, but there might be something left over there. I don't know. Or do they just? Yeah, I, I bet it's different for everybody. You know. Yeah, it is. I, I guess. But... Yeah, I guess it depends on the person. And I guess, you know, if you're an actor and you do it all the time, I get you. You probably get to a point where you go, well, that's acting, and that's you know, that's fine, and that's just the way it is. So. Yeah, I think people give a lot of credit to method actors, but I've I've heard much more healthy reactions from actors who aren't method that are like, no, I leave that at at work and I go home and I'm a regular person, they seem much less affected by their roles than maybe method actors Yeah, are. method actors always look a lot more intense, don't they? Always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, I found that the movie was super harrowing, but I still mm-hmm. enjoyed it. First watch was, like, I only watched it for the first time, I think it was last year. Oh, really? I'd always okay. known it was around, I always thought, uh, it was one of those movies where I thought I kind of, because everyone always says, oh, it's like a, a torture porn film. I don't like those mm-hmm. movies. So I think it kept right. me away from it for a long time, which was my loss because, you know, like you said, it's not really torture porn at all. Yeah. It, it's it's a, it's kind of, it's it's horror. I think it's horror. It would definitely come under horror or thriller yeah, and horror I would say it's or something like that. a little more extreme than even maybe a typical slasher. Yeah. Um, because I feel like slashers are very formulaic and and less focused on being realistic. I think the realism is really what makes it very uh, hard to watch. Yeah. Well, when when I watch a Friday the Thirteenth movie, which I really love watching those movies, I kind of enjoy it because of the fact that it's it sounds weird, but they're fun. Right. Right. This this movie's a slog when you first watch it. It's like. This is so hard it, to get through. It's very right? tense, and yeah. you, you spend a lot of mental energy being like, "I don't know what's going on," and yeah. like bracing yourself for yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah, and with a Friday the Thirteenth, you just know what's going to happen. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and like you were alluding to, like in those sort of movies and slasher movies generally, the cast of people that they go through and kill are like unlikable generally. Especially mm-hmm. if you look at that Friday the Thirteenth remake. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, I have not seen that, no. I don't think there was one character in that movie that I liked. They were all quite awful. And he's kind of like, you don't care. There's no one to care for. And in this Mm -hmm. movie, you actually care for these people because we've spent 30 minutes getting to know them, which is a really long time. And like I was saying, some of the people that have 
seen this movie and I've listened to the podcast, they're very critical of the fact that, oh, nothing happens for the first 30 minutes. I'm like, hang on. The payoff for the last half of the movie is the first 30 minutes. That's, that's Well, yeah, it- you have to you have to root for those characters. And I don't know that you're necessarily going to root for them it, to the intensity that you, you need to for that payoff. If you don't have that 30 minutes, you know, you need all that time to really get to know them and, and to differentiate, especially the girls, because like you know, in a typical slasher, everybody's kind of interchangeable for the yeah. most part. And, you know, that is probably what would make it torture porn if they didn't have that. Right, so right, the fact exactly. that the characters are so well developed takes it away from that whole torture porn thing. It just makes it mm-hmm. it's just like a really intense movie, very intense movie. But also yeah. some parts of the movie, it's weird because like the way John Jarrett plays Mick Taylor, like you said, he's quite charismatic mm-hmm. and there's times where you kind of, you kind of like him. It's really oh, yeah. strange, right? And I've I've seen Wolf Creek 2, and Wolf Creek 2 I think is much more over the top than this one. Mm. I didn't have the same care for the characters. It was more like it's probably worth watching. If you haven't seen it, I would right. definitely check it out. But it's more like a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more like here's all these people we're just going to put in front of Mick Taylor and Mick Taylor's going to kill them all, basically. It's probably like a little bit of an answer to if people had issues with this one. Probably. If you don't get enough gore, here's some here's some yeah. cannon fodder for you. <laughs> yeah. like One of the promos that they had for it, and it's a scene in the movie, is where this guy he's chasing has got like a he's, – he's got a car and he's being chased by Mick Taylor. Somehow Mick Taylor's got himself – into a massive semi-trail, like a big road train truck, oh, and is chasing yeah. him down with that. And there's this massive herd of kangaroos that start running across the road in front of them, and they're they're hitting this guy's car, and Mick's driving over the top of him in the truck, and he thinks oh, it's yeah. hilarious and all this sort of stuff. And he yells out, "Welcome to Australia!" and all this sort of thing. And it's a bit over. It's quite over the top, and they're obviously right. CGI kangaroos, right? But, right. but it, it's um, it's a bit over the top. And yeah, but it's still okay. I remember watching it. I watched it pretty much straight after the other one, the first one, when I watched them mm-hmm. last year. And I was kind of wasn't. It was a little bit disappointing because I thought, uh, I think it lacked that intensity, and right. it was about Mick, right? It's a bit like I keep going back to Friday the Thirteenth, but it's probably the easiest way for me to describe it. Like mm-hmm. Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, you've got like that sort of Jason that's kind of like a bit gangly he kind of isn't the real full-on killer he still kills people but you know he's still a man sort of thing whatever Mm -hmm. and then in part three he's like this amazing killing machine that just sort of goes through everybody right and it's kind of the same with wolf creek 2 you sort of still have the same premise but you have mick taylor basically more of a i guess almost a pastiche of himself like a, Mm a you know a bit it's kind of like any slasher killer that is allowed to do one-liners, like Jason's silent, obviously, and so is Michael Myers. But Freddy, Freddy, and and Chucky, and all of those, even Pinhead to a certain extent, like the the one-liners kind of take over <laughs> as far as yeah. the dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the the big thing for me was the characterization. The first thirty minutes, I think, is is what makes this movie. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. 
some of the themes I thought about with this movie, probably the main one really for me was was isolation. It's probably mm-hmm. one of the strongest themes that runs through the film. Like you're in the outback, you cut off from the rest of the world, so they make a big point of saying that where they are, there's no phone reception. Even some weird things happen to the their watches in in Wolf Creek and all this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. So they're cut off from the world. Mick Taylor doesn't really care about being caught because there's nobody around to catch him. Right. That's why he does what he does. And I think that whole being in an area where you're out in the open, somewhere you would think is safe because you're not near a city or anything like that, you're just out in the open. Mm-hmm. I think you alluded to it a little bit earlier. You think it's just like a, a nice area and whatnot and and then you only have one person out there like him and the place is like you know, terrible and that was the the big the big thing for me. Yeah, I watched uh, like a do- like a little forty five minute documentary on the Peter Falconio case, mm-hmm. and the woman that was the the lead detective on that case said, you know, in this area of Australia, and I'm assuming assuming it's kind of that same area. Um, it's so it's so isolated and so lonely, especially like if you're driving at night, there is nothing. There's there's no lights there, or at that time there was no lights there was no other cars really on the road. There wouldn't be traffic if you got stuck somewhere. The idea is that, like, if you're traveling through that part of Australia, really at night, you you should be in a town and you should be uh, set up for the night, basically. You're not you're not continuing to travel into the night. I think Mick Taylor kind of mentions it even when he's talking to the kids around the campfire, is that there are properties out at those sort of areas that, you know, farms or people own properties that, that take days to get from one end to the other, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And there's some properties that even span across states and things like that. So wow. wow. You're really in the middle of In that sort of area, you, you're literally in the middle of nowhere. The theme that I kept coming back to, I think more from the true crime stuff, but some somewhat with this, um, with this movie, is that there's a level of naivete and being unprepared on the part of the real backpackers and then also these characters, I heard a lot of information about uh, the foreign backpackers and how they would just kind of show up in Australia with a backpack and then drift around without a plan. And uh, they said a lot of the travelers, especially the ones that spoke English, felt really comfortable because they were in an English-speaking country. Um, There was kind of a, a reputation for Australian people to be very friendly and helpful and they just kind of assumed everybody would be like that. They didn't really think about, you know, there's there's bad people everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and and they didn't really learn a lot about the place they were going to, especially if they were going out into the more rural parts of Australia. And, and that seems to be common with travelers going to foreign countries, but could be especially dangerous in a place where you are just out in the middle of nowhere and there's no one else around. Yeah, I think so too. And and the fact that they just bought like a bomb of a car. Yeah. To yeah. to drive that great distance. And it's no you know, it's no wonder that they had trouble with the car and, and he had to get it fixed. I think before they even left he had it repaired. Yeah, there's that scene where he's like, Yep. <laughs> yep. And and I'm sure I'm assuming that scene's there to kind of give you that, oh, there's gonna something's gonna go wrong with yeah, the car. It's that Chekhov's uh broken car. <laughs> yeah. <know>? yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I think, and I think you've got it as a note. But I think I think Mick is the one that meddles with the car. When okay, so you thought that, that as well. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure, but 
because he could they're so far away from that car park and it's obvious when you've watched the movie especially that shot where she's looking at the video yes, and she sees yeah. his truck in the background at the at the rest stop they're at at the stop mm-hmm. and I'm thinking okay he's been following them the whole time yeah and they talk about where they're going too so he could have even heard where they were going and like because he's from the area knows a different like a faster way to get there and and get out there before they're even there yeah he could have even been sitting in that in that bar area but we didn't see him do you know what i right, mean right he could have been sitting on his own somewhere and it would have yeah. been way too obvious to show that but um right you don't know, right? And and so it's obvious. Yeah, he was obviously tracking them and following them. So I I believe he went and meddled with the car. Okay. Yeah, I thought it, I thought that as well. The other thing that Micah and I talked about is maybe because it's a site of a meteorite um, landing, and uh, we thought maybe the magnetic field could have messed because they talk about the watch batteries yeah. and stuff. Maybe the magnetic magnetic field could have wa- messed with the watch batteries and the car battery as well. Could have too. Yeah. But yeah. It's interesting that it's good though that you kind of have there's two there's two ways you can play it like mm-hmm. was it that or did he do it I, I kind of like to think that he did it I I do too because it really shows a lot of planning on his part which yeah. clearly he has done this many times so what do you think of the music I thought it was really interesting it uh, a lot of the movie reminded me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre so I was I was glad to see that in your notes about the music yeah especially the little tinkly jingly bits mm-hmm. in the, a lot of those yeah. very tense scenes the other music i think was just serviceable for the movie that was, yeah. was quite fine but yeah they had had some real chainsaw massacre vibes and this actually in a way this movie kind of has that a little bit too right not quite yeah. as off kilter as that but it has that sort of vibe to it especially when they get to his camp like his camp feels very similar to the house in yeah. texas chainsaw where there's body parts and, and all sorts of weird stuff. Um, there's that moment, though, when he's in the car and you see the silhouette of his hat as he's waiting for Chrissy to, like, pick up and go um, at the very end. And that reminded me of Mad Max. And I was like, that's that's Greg McLean's Mad Max moment. <laughs> well, there was some shots where he's chasing her in the car and there's those low shots with the car mm-hmm. coming towards the camera and I was right. like, oh, this is this is just Mad Max again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there could be any any exploitation movie from the 70s sure. that has cars in it, is has those sort of shots. So yeah, very true to its um to its roots there, I think. So Right. We've already talked about like the 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 torture porn boom and you know, we both think that it that it wasn't really part of that. Do you think yeah. it, it influenced anything else, though? Like, I don't know that this film really, like, it obviously influenced itself in the <laughs> follow-ups, but um, but it, it's, I don't know, it's, it's interesting because, like you said, it, I think it was thrown in with all that torture porn stuff, but just the fact that the first 30 minutes takes it out of that, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, I don't know if it was, inf- maybe it was influenced in some way by torture porn, I don't know. I think it's a lot of, you know, all those directors are kind of the same age. And so they grew up watching a lot of the same movies and were influenced by a lot of the same directors and movies. So I think it has more to do with that than really being part of a specific genre. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. 
it could have taken some leads. It could have taken. Well, when you look, we've just talked about it being like Mad Max, and mm-hmm. yeah. And so it, it obviously takes its uh, its lead from from a lot of other movies. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I wondered was like, there's that whole scene where um, Liz and, and Christy are in the truck, mm-hmm. and Mick's chasing them. They're in his truck, and he's chasing them. I never understood why. They got to the. They almost nearly drove it off a cliff. Yeah. I have no idea why they didn't just back up and drive another direction. And why? Why did they dump the truck down the? I know you've got to progress the story, but I don't understand <laughs> why they jumped the truck and just hid from him when they could have just gone another direction. Because the truck was was their way out. Yeah, I didn't really understand that either. I- Maybe I was maybe Liz wanted a distraction so she could go back and look for Ben. I also thought maybe they felt like he was so close that they didn't didn't think they could get away without him thinking they were dead. Maybe. Yeah, it was I, I, that seems very odd. Like that is sort of like the one plot hole where you're like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, 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 no. And and I know the other thing in this movie that I thought was interesting is that I always thought Liz was gonna be like mm-hmm. a final girl. Always, oh, I was totally. like, she plays everything like a final girl. She's got some brains. She's got some balls. She goes back and kind of like, you know, takes him on. She's the one that's a little more shy and innocent, and that seems to kind of fit in with the final girl trope. Yeah, and and she does all the right things, except she didn't double tap him when she shot him in the neck. Like in that whole scene, I was like, oh my god, she can't, she can't, she could at least look for more bullets. Or if she didn't know how to do, use the gun, she could have at least, I don't know, if you're that crazed and you're that, in, and it's that intense, I don't know why you basically wouldn't just bash his brain in with the butt of the gun. That's what I said, too. I was like, because she was hitting him in the back, and I was like, yeah. hit him in the head. Like, just just cave his head in with that thing. Exactly. <laughs> right? There's so many things they could have done. They could have tied him up. They could have done yeah. all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah. But like I said, movie's got to progress, so you can't have that. But that was the only place she sort of made the mistake and driving the truck, taking the truck over the cliff, I think. But yeah, yeah. But she's set up as the final girl. And when she dies, for me, it was a real shock. I was like, yeah. she, Well, I don't know. She died because we just saw her get the head yeah. on the stick bit, and right. um, and she's just and she looks terrible when she goes down. She. This is where her acting is so good. When she's lying there on her back once he's severed her spinal cord, you can see in her eyes the way she's acting that she knows exactly what's going on mm-hmm. and and she's so shocked and, like, almost doesn't believe it. It's, like, really good. She's a really good actress, actually. Oh, yeah, and, and that moment right before when, when she, like, puts her hand out to stop him from, oh, from yeah. slashing her and he cuts the tips of her fingers off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't really see that much gore. It's like the tips of fingers with a little bit of blood. But to me, that was more uh, shocking than a lot of things I've seen in much and much gorier films. Yeah. And and yeah. you can, like, I feel like you can feel that in your own hand. You're like, oh, that would hurt so yeah. much. <laughs> it's so. I think things in this movie hurt seem to affect you more because mm-hmm. it's based on. 
someone like Mick Taylor can exist, right? I don't really believe someone like Jason Voorhees can exist or Freddy Krueger can exist, right? Well, and the fact that Ivan Milat was a real person and you can really learn about that case, it makes it even more plausible. And just things like the way Mick's demeanor changes from being like a very friendly ocker Australian, like I was saying, there's a the campfire scene, well, we can talk about that now, I guess. Like, yeah, yeah. The way his demeanor changes so suddenly is really unsettling. That whole bit where Ben says to him, Oh, so what do you do? And he says, You know, I'd tell you, but I'd have to kill you. And you know that he's a bad guy, but the way he mm-hmm. says it, because people say, I don't know if they say that in America as a joke or anything, but a, a lot of Australians say it, I'll tell you, but I'd have to kill you first. Yeah. Or something like <laughs> it's something my dad has has said when people ask him about like things that he's done for the military that he can't talk about. Yeah, He'll yeah, joke yeah. around and say that because technically he can't talk about it. But it, you know, it it is so it is something I've heard a lot in, in <laughs> as a kid. But it is so sinister when he says it, even though he's saying it with a smile on his face. Yeah, it is. What do you actually do now? I can tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) And you see there's a spot where his face changes Mm -hmm. from being jolly and joking around. He gets, I think it's when Ben is kind of making fun of what he just said. Mm -hmm. And you can just see the change come over and it's almost like a wipe. And, yeah, the um, mask slips off. The a mask bit. slips off a bit, and yeah. it's just amazing. And it's just a great scene because you learn so much about him in that scene. From the beginning of the movie, we've got this nice, happy group of kids that are going on a trip, and mm-hmm. everything's really good. They're having a great old time. You've got all the banter and everything like that. They go to Wolf Creek, they go up and they have a look around that looks really cool. They're having fun, funny shot of them walking with a really bright umbrella in the in the mm-hmm. outback and all this sort of stuff. And, and then the movie gets a bit darker. But when you get to that campsite scene, the camping scene, when they're all together sitting at the fire, that's when the movie for me has that real turn and you go, okay, now we've gone into this area that's that's becoming really sinister and really unsettling. And from then on, the movie basically doesn't let up until the end. Yeah, I for me it really starts... Like, it's a gradual thing, and I think it really hits when you get to the campfire scene. It really starts from when he's towing them, and they're like, wow, this is really far out. And that's when you start to get that sort of dread feeling building up. Once again, when she goes back and she sees the the video of people that he's killed mm-hmm. before, the videos and the video cameras, that she sees that they're all drinking from the same. He's obviously... Poison, not poison the water, Do- but put something the in the water. water. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's quite interesting. And there's little scenes in that in that campfire scene where I think it's Ben maybe starts to look tired and they all start looking a little bit tired and you're like, oh, okay, this is all interesting. He, funnily enough, drinks beer. He obviously doesn't drink the water and mm-hmm. he doesn't offer them beer either, which is very not Australian actually. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a great cut from when, like, they're going to bed and she's trying to talk to Ben hmm. and she's saying his name and he's not responding. So, ostensibly, he's passed out. Um, but then it hard cuts to her waking up being tied up. Yeah, that's a great scene too, isn't it? When mm-hmm. when she wakes up, there's that whole realisation of the position she's in, which is mm-hmm. 
which is really good as well. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This movie bugged me a little bit, not in a bad way. Sort of, it's kind it's, of chilling. Yeah, bugged you in the way that it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah, because it could. All this stuff could happen, right? This is the whole thing. Right. All this right. stuff can happen, and it has happened to a degree. Like mm-hmm. that, the head on a stick thing, like the severing of the spinal cord, was something that Ivan Malak did to people. Yeah, and there's also the moment where he's firing the gun at Christy and and sort of misses her by a very narrow margin, and Ivan Malat would tie up some of his victims and and shoot literally shoot like a whole clip into their head and so you see little if you know the case you see little nods to to the real case in that and that's that makes it even scarier if you know the yeah. real the real case actually a good double with this movie would be watching one of those uh crime shows better right right maybe yeah. i don't know if you'd watch it before or after i, I feel like if you watched it before you could really pick up on some of the subtle things he does to sort of nod to the case. And it's obvious that in this movie, and especially, and I know you haven't seen Wolf Creek 2, and this is about Wolf Creek, this podcast, but anyway, whatever. In Wolf Creek <laughs> 2, it's very obvious that he doesn't like foreigners. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, he doesn't like the fact that there's foreigners in the country and, and the British people are in the country and all this sort of stuff and... Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I think in the next movie there's German backpackers and, and other things like that. But obviously he's that, I hate to say it because I'm a boomer, but he's kind of like a boomer racist kind of guy. Like very xenophobic kind of. Xenophobic and typical, unfortunately, of a lot in that age group. Mm-hmm. Not me. I'll say You're it's too, not me. So I'm a, I'm We're a, not a, <laughs> I say, I always say I'm a non-practicing boomer. And, uh, <laughs> That's a great <laughs> And um, he's typical of, of a lot of people in that age group where he's kind mm-hmm. of doesn't respect the younger people. He kind of just thinks they're, you know, I don't know. I think every generation's the same in a way, really, once yeah, you get older. And, and just inter- because I, I work in IT and I interact with a lot of um, people that are that have worked at the state for a long time, so they are probably closer to my parents' age or older, uh, they seem very defensive when they're dealing with younger people a, a lot of times. Yeah. And that's kind of the vibe I got from him with those with those kids too. Yeah, so he just doesn't like them. And I think he thinks, especially in the second movie, I think he's doing his own, like, in his mind, culling of vermin. If it's, yeah. That's probably yeah. a terrible way of putting it, but... That's what I think he thinks he's doing because, you know, he has that whole piece he's talking about what he used to do and he used to shoot ruse and, mm-hmm. and and wildlife and stuff like that that was, you know, that was a problem on farms and things like that. And I think that's a thing too, right? He says he used to have that job. And I think that job was stopping him, well, not was not stopping him, was was kind of like fulfilling that part of him that like killing mm-hmm. things. And when that was taken away, then he had to, uh, the urge went other ways. And I think that's right. why he started dealing with people as well. That's my feeling anyway. On that. Oh, yeah. And I think that attitude of like, I'm I'm doing the world a favor by getting rid of this group of people is is something that comes up a lot of, a lot of times with serial killers. So that is, that feels accurate and real. The other scene, I guess, is when, we talked about it on and off when Liz comes across mixed souvenirs when she's yeah. looking through that room. It's absolutely chilling. Like there's 
photos of people, there's passports, there's credit cards stuck up on the wall. Just the number of cameras in that bin. Cameras, yeah. It'll be all mobile phones these days, right? And it's just chilling looking at all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And then when she watches that video of the family, it's terrible because I'm thinking he's killed two adults and a child from that family. Right. And had no problem doing it. because, And it's so sad because there's a scene beforehand where they're on the beach, playing in the beach mm-hmm. and building mm-hmm. sandcastles. And then then there's the bit where, you know, where he runs into them. And then you start seeing him say the same things again that right. he said to them. I couldn't get over, like, the, the bins and, and the amount of stuff. Uh, obviously, it's not the same, but it reminded me of going to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. And they have... Displays where they show, like, a pile of glasses uh, or a pile of shoes. And that's representative or bags that are supposed to have hair in them. And it's representative of all the things that they took away from the prisoners that they were bringing into the camps. And they would have ju- they would have just piles and piles of this stuff and such a small fraction when you think of it. But it reminded me of that, of, like... All these little bits and pieces of things represent a person or or a group of people that he's killed. And it's just so awful when you think about it that way. It is. They, they were the things in the movie that actually really got to me. Yeah, was, me too. Was that. I was like, oh, my God. Because you see that and, like, and in the cut you saw, you see the bit where she came across all the bodies as well. Mm-hmm. So this guy has been so into it. It's interesting we mentioned Chainsaw Massacre as well because in the second movie he's basically – stringing up people and putting, like, coloured lights on them and things, mm-hmm. which is very Chainsaw Massacre sort of stuff. I actually think that the theatrical cut that that takes that part out where she does find the bodies, that is actually more effective or just as effective as seeing the actual bodies. I don't think you need that because that room is really representative of the amount of victims that, that he's taken. That's where this movie, I think, really divides itself from torture porn. Yeah. Is it's yeah. it's a lot more human, a lot more realistic. I haven't like I said, I don't like those sort of movies, so I haven't watched Hostel. I probably should just so I can talk about it. I've watched it, but it's something I don't need to watch again. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So that's why it took me so long to watch this movie, really. Right. Because it kept being lumped in with torture porn, and now after watching it, it's it's definitely not. And I, we've said that plenty of times in the last hour. So I'm sorry for repeating ourselves. But. I, I think it just suffers from coming out at the same time and, and being yeah. very visceral and kind of similar to the plot of Hostel a little bit. So it suffers from comparison, I think, more than anything else. I did want to talk about the scene where Mick catches up with Christy. She is so close to getting away. She she finds that guy. She flags on that older gentleman and he's going to help her. And then he immediately gets shot. And then McLean really teases it out because after after he gets killed, she's still able to drive away. And that's the shot where you see the silhouette of him in his hat and he's waiting. And you can tell he's he's just biding his time because he wants to let her think she's going to get away. And then he ca- he's able to catch up with her basically right away. And we even get a moment where he sort of spins out and, and goes off the road mm. and she's laughing at him and, and yeah. driving away. And you're still like, maybe, maybe she can do it. And then as soon as that gun comes out, you're like, oh. Yeah, because he's a sharpshooter, so he shoots the tire out. And then that wide shot where he, she gets, like, she wrecks the car and hits her head on the windshield. So I think she's just really dazed. Like, she gets out of the car, 
and just sort of is trying to get away, but in a very halting manner, you know she's not going to get away, and then he shoots her, and it's that wide shot, and she just falls down, and oh man, that is so bleak. I almost think if the movie ended there, it would be even more impactful than seeing Ben get out. Like, it's, uh, you know, I'm happy that Ben made it, but at the same time, how how stark and, and uh, disheartening would it have been if it just ended where... Christy gets shot. I think in a way they have to kind of have the, the you know, the closing little yeah. act with Ben just to kind of give you something. Something, yeah. <laughs> something that's kind of hopeful because, right. but I agree with you, if it, if it had finished that way, then I think it would have been one of those movies you kind of would have been, oh, fuck, what did I just watch, right? It was like. Because it was like when when she was shot, it was just so. Ugh, it was all, and then he goes up close and he double taps right, and yeah, it's awful. And he has an interesting look on his face as well. It's almost like I don't know what it is Did, when he's when he's done the job and he's shot her, and he's just looking. There's something in his face. I don't know if it's like. It's definitely not joy. Is it like disappointment, or is he thinking a little bit of like? This is what I'm really like. He has that moment of little moment of clarity where he sort of thinks I'm doing really terrible things. I almost took it as as he was sort of Oh, that's a shame because I really would have liked to continue to torture yeah, her. Yeah, maybe that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he just dumps her in the back of the car. Yeah. With yeah. Who, with the does he have the, with old the older guy, in the back of the guy car? Yeah. I think. It's um yeah, it's super bleak. It's like Yeah. It's depressing, right? And then even with the end, we still get the the coda at the end where we get, you know, Ben gets... gets. I think it was great the way that the guy that approaches Ben when he's sort of passed out in the, in the outback is wearing a hat. <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's just another couple of backpackers basically in a van. Yeah, and I think they also, like, in the sort of writing about, like, what happened to each character or whatever they talk about, like he was finally cleared as a suspect after six months, and and that's close to like the Peter Falconio case because his girlfriend or his uh, fiance was kind of under suspicion for quite a long time. I remember uh, seeing like a 2020 episode about that where they were basically insinuating like we think his girlfriend killed him. Australia is a really bad place for that, and we have bad, very bad history. Just got to think about Lindy Chamberlain, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. She was convicted of killing her own child when they really yeah. had no real proof. And, and it, everything pointed to a dingo coming and, and yeah. taking the yeah. baby, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you know I still get people when I, because um, I run like a little ad on Facebook that just goes constantly, right? And I still get people that will message me or reply to the ad saying, the name of your podcast is so disrespectful. Oh. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's kind of in the in the vernacular, the whole dingo ate my baby thing. And I mean, they made a joke on Seinfeld about yeah. it, so <laughs> I don't yeah. think you can get too mad about it. And she did that great Australian accent that it was a dingo that ate my baby or something yeah. like that. I know he's here somewhere. Ellen! Have you seen my fiancé? He's upstairs. Are you going upstairs? Tell my fiancé I'm looking for him. <laughs> I have lost my fiancé, the poor baby. 
maybe the dingo ate your baby. What? The dingo ate your baby. So, yeah, so, uh, yeah. But, yeah, Australia's got a very bad history of, you know, trial by media. Well, for some reason, I think the the British media, and, and maybe this is true of the Australian media as well, they seem to, and I don't know if it's the laws or just the culture, they seem to go after people a lot more aggressively than, than the yeah. media does here. Well, 75% of the media that is in this country is probably owned by Rupert Murdoch, so that's no yeah. surprise. And that's a big issue, which I won't go into, but, yeah, that, that's a big problem. But, yeah, there's a lot of trial by media. I just think it's a. this is a whole different subject, but, like, I think media has a lot of responsibility in these sort of crimes or these sort of things mm-hmm. to just kind of shut up and just report the facts and not kind of, like, put their own spin on things. It. Yeah, yeah. And sensationalise it and all this sort of stuff. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I have a... Yeah, I'm interested in true crime, obviously, but I think it's it's always weird to sort of have that be an interest because it, you are sort of getting entertainment from other people's suffering. And yeah. you have to be really mindful about the things that you watch and the way that you watch them. But the media has, a, especially in America, has a long history of sort of prioritizing cases where they can get a lot of viewers out of it. So it's usually a pretty middle-class white woman and that's what gets the most viewers and that seems to be what they're they're most interested in and there's a lot of focus on the killers or the offender and not as much attention paid to the victims and and sort of humanizing the victims and so that that really makes some true crime very hard to watch and i think you are seeing it gets better in slow increments, but I, I've definitely seen more true crime programs. You know, they'll list the names of the victims at the end. So the last thing that you see is the the victim's name and do things to humanize the victims, do things to put more mar- marginalized victims out there. But yeah, true crime media is very, can be very um, cynical and, and salacious if you're not careful about what you what you decide to watch or, or take in. Well, there's also true crime podcasts, right? There's so it's many true. of those. It's like these days I can I think those podcasts are probably top pretty much all the podcast charts, right? People love hearing about true crime. That's even more dangerous because you have people that don't have any sort of journalistic background or any sort of check on them. That you really have to be careful about what you what you do decide to listen to because I've tried many different true crime podcasts and they'll say things that aren't true or they'll get facts wrong. And it's like, you know, this isn't just talking about some movie or TV show you like. This is real people, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like getting facts wrong about a movie, right? Right, right. The Lindy Chamberlain thing was interesting because she, I think they were Seven Day Adventists or something. And, oh, wow. And not a lot of... Not a lot was known about Seven Day Adventists in Australia at that time, and they almost made them out to be part of a cult. And there was this wow. whole talk that that she they they sacrificed the baby to the oh to something. And this is what the media was like, and what people were saying. If you look back, if you've got time, have a look like YouTube, whatnot, mm-hmm. from Lin, like that whole case, and listen to what people were saying. It was unbelievable. You just got to be careful with media. And I think this movie, to get back to the movie, kind of you know, gives that same sort of impression at the end of the movie. Obviously, he was 
in custody. How long did they say? Five months? What is it? Five yeah, like six months or something. Six like months. That, yeah. Where he's like in custody because they must have thought, the police must have thought, oh, maybe he did it. Mm-hmm. Right? And I still find it hard to believe, though, that they could at least go to the people that picked up Ben and say, roughly, where did you pick him up? And then they would have right. at least have an area where they could search. And you can't tell me with helicopters and stuff, they couldn't find that compound that Mick was living in, right? Right. Did they address that in the sequel? Like, did they talk about him, like he burned his compound down or moved or? I don't think so. Like the sequel, like I said, it doesn't start, it doesn't have any build up like this movie does. Mm-hmm. Like within, I think within the first 10 minutes of the sequel, he's killed two policemen and burnt oh, them wow. in a car, right? And and it's that it's that sort of start off straight away, mm-hmm. um, and it just goes on from there. So it's more in the slasher territory than this movie is. So yeah, it's odd that they didn't find him. But that last shot of him walking into the sunset and then fading away is actually really good as well because it's kind of oh, like yeah. he, he could be anywhere. Yeah, it it kind of reminds me of the Hitcher. Uh, just the idea that you're on a road trip and this maniac is everywhere you turn. Yeah, yeah, he could be anywhere. So yeah. Final thoughts? Uh, I think this movie is great. I I hope people who haven't seen it that are interested in it check it out because of the the show. I know we kind of ruined the ending, but uh, it's so still worth a watch. Like the tension that build up is something that we can't replicate on the show. So no, for sure. It's it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah. <laughs> Don't don't be like me, right? Don't Same. don't yeah, just I put it don't just write time. it off and think, oh, it's torture porn, and yeah. And I know we've spoiled it in this show, and we spoil every movie pretty much, but it's still worth watching. Like I enjoyed watching it even just on my iPad last night, mm-hmm. uh, just watching it again, and even knowing I knew it was going to happen, it was still unsettling. Oh, it's, totally. It's, it's a movie to experience, I think, as mm-hmm. well, rather than just watch. So. Definitely worth it. You'll be challenged in some places, but if you like, I guess even if you're into true crime, I think this sort of movie is quite interesting, especially just what it's based on, what they've used as inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially if you learn about the case first and then go into it, you'll notice little things that were clearly put into the movie as sort of an allusion to the real case. And that, and that for me at least, that's always fun to kind of look for. All right, so... In wrapping up, what is happening with Tess Patton? I know you're very near the end now, which is very sad, but (laughs) what's happening? So uh, after six years, we're sort of wrapping up our regularly scheduled episodes. We are going to periodically pop back in um, and do an episode here and there. But we've got some really cool stuff coming up for October, uh, since that's kind of our last Last hurrah. Um, if you're like if you like Romero and you like the Romero zombie movies, this is the time to tune in because we are doing full length episodes on each of the first three movies, as well as uh, one last book episode on Pet Cemetery. And then we'll also be also have a very special episode for our last movie episode. So if you're an uh, already a listener, definitely check that out. If you're not a listener of Test Pattern, um, we've got some great stuff lined up, and that may be a great entry point. <laughs> You've got six years of stuff to get through. <laughs> you can work your way backwards. <laughs> work your way backwards, exactly. <laughs> Just talking, talking of bleak, you're doing pets. Yeah, oh, gosh, yeah. 
that is you're doing the the original one the right? original movie and then the book as well um I, we couldn't bring ourselves to do the new movie because i think both jacob and i really didn't like it very much and we don't want to have that be our one of our last episodes is just ragging on a movie you know <laughs> She's speaking of movies that are troubling. That's that's definitely one, and the book is probably even oh, more. Oh so. yeah, yeah. I think when I because that movie was on cable a lot um, when I was a kid, and the scenes with Zelda, of course, that's the one that everybody talks about. But also the uh, Victor Pascoe when he comes back in Lewis's dream, that scared the bejesus out of me as a kid. So yeah, so it's um near the end for you guys, which is or well, not not the final end, but yeah. but I'm assuming. Like you'll pop in occasionally and do, yeah. do some episodes, which is fantastic. That's great. All right, so thanks for coming yes, on. Thank you for it's so good me. having you back again. It's always great having you on the show. Tab it makes it so much easier for me to do the whole episode, <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. And it's nice to to get different viewpoints. And once again, you're perfect for for this. If I ever do Wolf Creek two, you'll definitely be back for that one. Oh well, I would love to because I have not seen <laughs> it yet. <laughs> So, yeah, so we might do that one next year, maybe. Cool. So that's good. Cool. Well, thank you again. Yes, thank you for having me. And when we return, we'll talk about what's coming up next. And now, preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. Strange Behavior, a movie of mystery, horror, and suspense. A clear and unnatural picture begins to form in my mind. They're going to strap me into some chair and pull for all of my grace. Would you just wait a minute and listen to me? Two sessions, two days, a hundred bucks a day. Behavior is nothing more than the sum of the mechanical activities of our bodies. I was just wondering, are you doing anything tonight? Oh, he's dead. And the dead don't come back and take revenge. We've heard your views on our work in the past, Mr. Brady. Crap for somebody else. You got a list of people in the program. Now just relax, Pete. It'll be over in no time. It started all over again. Let me go! Pete, Let me it. go! Pete, what's wrong? Mr. Brady, I see you found your way. Pete, are you ready? The choice is yours, Mr. Brady. Either give him the gun or shoot him. The choice is yours, Mr. Brady. Oh, what did you do to my kid? What did you do? Strange behavior. Next on A Dingo Ate My Movie, we'll be making our first trip to New Zealand to discuss the film Dead Kids, also known as Strange Behavior, from 1981. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Thank you to all my guests who give their time to make this podcast possible, and a special thanks to you for listening. Don't forget you can follow A Dingo Ate My Movie on social media. We're at Dingo Movie on Twitter, Dingo Movie Pod on Facebook and Instagram, and we're on the web at dingomoviepod.com. 
If you'd like to support the show, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with your friends. Of course, you can always buy me a coffee over at buymeacoffee.com slash dingomoviepod. Once again, thanks for listening, stay safe, and I'll see you on the next episode of A Dingo Ate My Movie.